No Simple Road is stoked to have Sunset Lake CBD back with us as our sponsor. Sunset Lake is the real deal. If you've looked around trying to find CBD and it just didn't do what it was supposed to do, this is the place you need to go. They've got every kind of product you can imagine, including CBD tinctures with sleep gummies that are great for getting to bed, CBD gummy bears and reishi infused chews that can help bring you a little bit of calm in a stressful day. They've got salve. They've got smokable hemp flower that's great for folks like me that don't want to get stoned and paranoid, but want to have the benefits of cannabis. Well, now you got it. And they even carry CBD products for your pets, man. I'm saying this is Darwin approved stuff. Go over to sunsetlakecbd.com and check out the full range of what they have. This is Vermont grown right to your door and they're giving you 20% off. So put in the promo code NSR20 when you're checking out. You're going to get 20% off your whole order. And I know you're going to love it. They even have subscription options open for you. So you don't forget to get your medicine. Go check out Sunset Lake CBD, everybody. Hey, everyone. Chris Pandolfi from the infamous String Dusters here to let you know that my podcast Inside the Musician's Brain is back on the airwaves for season four, which means it's time once again to get deep with influential musicians from all across the musical landscape to really understand and translate the lessons of success, failure, inspiration and hard work that are behind the music and the artists that we love. My guests this season include Rachel Price from Lake Street Dives, Sam Bush, Chris Wood, Chris Funk from The Decemberists, Lindsay Liu, MC Taylor from His Golden Messenger, and more. Check us out, and thanks for listening. We're so excited to tell you a bit about today's sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They are a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Music Masters Collective events give you the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like Otil Burbridge, Steve Earle, Richard Thompson, former members of the band, the Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, the Fab Foe, and Sean Colvin, and so many more. At an event like the Milk Carton Kids Sad Song Summer Camp, happening this July, you can expect immersive classes, evenings of entertainment, excellent food, and a space for a lucky group of folks to learn, co-write, workshop, and perform with like-minded peers, all with the guidance of Kenneth Pattengale, Joey Ryan, and some of their favorite songwriters. This all-inclusive week in the Catskill Mountains of upstate New York is guaranteed to be magical. Scholarships are available and spots are extremely limited. So visit www.sadsongsummercamp.com forward slash simple to learn more. That's www.sadsongsummercamp.com forward slash simple. Check it out. Okay, so before before we start this, we just talked for like three minutes, and Aaron didn't hit record. It's pretty so. funny. Man. I'm sorry. So I this is the. That one go. It's yeah. recording now. Okay, so this is the pre the pre intro intro pre intro intro. What was that, babe? 
I was just simply sta- I was just simply stating that I didn't see it being recorded because I said yes to you because you just yeah, we, missed five we just, minutes we were of just double, so, we so this is the sure. pre-intro intro. There is an intro to this episode. Yeah, he just shouldered me out of the way. I, I didn't. Oh. I just got in front of the mic. Anyway, this is the Tuesday announcement that we've been talking about. And we're announcing it. And Ryder and Apple are fighting. I'm not fighting. I'm just trying to talk into the mic. And Wait, Apple's no, repeatedly hit, no, hitting me. Uh, okay, yeah. That, I'm sorry. Okay. That happened. So, a couple of months ago, we did a podcast with Jonathan from Broke Down. And after that, we got an email from him. And he said, hey, we're getting ready to do this thing. And I think you guys might be interested in it. And we should talk. So, me and Apple and Melanie... Was Ryder, were you there for I the conference call? Justin, wasn't Justin there? And I think Justin was on the call yeah. as well. Um, did a conference call with uh, Jonathan and a gentleman named RJ. And we talked about joining a network. So what's the big deal about joining a network? Well, a podcast network is really cool because it gets several podcasts together, working together. If, you know, they're like-minded people, they can help each other out. It's a way for them to promote each other's shows. It brings other podcast audiences to our show and vice versa. And it's a way for us to attract sponsors and advertisers and all that stuff. And that's cool. But... What was really super special about this particular network is that, well, you want to say, Apple? Huh? Well, which one? The, There's two things. You could, you could say either one Tom of them. Tom Marshall. Or that it's run, that, run by Relics. No, it's not run by Relics. Uh, We're no, a media Re- partner. Yeah, yeah, Relics, oh, sorry. Relics sorry. is involved in Peter Shapiro and Tom Marshall that writes lot of lyrics for fish so yeah guys this network is i guess the baby of rj and tom marshall and if you grateful dead fans that aren't familiar with fish tom marshall is the robert hunter to trey anastasio did that make sense I'm sure it did. Yeah, it will to some people. Yeah. It, it, it's like it's like Garcia Hunter, Anastasio the Marshall. That guy was trying to tell you something. Sorry, I I don't definitely definitely people got that. Okay, Tom, Tom Marshall's definitely the lyricist for Fish, and RJ, and they did a media partnership with Relics, and they are starting a podcast network, and the name of that network is. Osiris. Osiris. Osiris, which is a cool so, name. So, No Simple Road is now, as of today, officially part of the Osiris, Osiris Network, Network, which is a media partner with Relics Magazine and headed by Tom Marshall, the lyricist from Fish. Can we tell them about what we're trying to do at Dead, at Dead and Company now? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, cool, guys. We're getting a, we're getting a booth. A, maybe a booth. we're we, trying. We're working we are on. Currently yeah, working, working on. Tra- on. I'm getting a booth at the God. Dead and Company, uh, oh. where it is the VIP area or something. Or something. In an area. We're trying to get an area. We it's for the not solid yet. I just wanted to talk about it because it's cool. Because he just likes to talk. I do. I enjoy talking. But yeah, if you're at the Dead and Company and you're in whatever area we decide to get our booth in, come down and we'll be uh, we'll be recording an episode there while we're doing it. Yeah, so here's the thing. We are working on having a 10 by 10 at um, Dead and Company, and then if that goes well, doing it also at Fish. And 
you know, I, I'm just super excited. It was, it was really exciting and gratifying and all of that to be recognized by people in the music industry that are putting together this podcast network that no simple road was something that they would want to be part of their network. That was fucking amazing. And then getting to meet them on online and talk to them on the phone and just dude, such cool people and down to earth. And I think all of us have the same goal in mind and vision in mind. And it's just all about like making the family grow and getting bigger and, and, helping each other out and making sure that nobody from outside of our little world can fuck with us. And that's really cool. And just as, as the show gets bigger, you know, what does that have to do? I don't understand why they would fuck with us. If the show gets bigger, that's good. I thought. That is good. I'm just yeah, saying, people. There's safety in numbers, babe. There, are, there are bad people out there. Yeah, there's safety. <laughs> there Thank you, Ryder. Plenty of there's bad people bad out there people. Things wanting to do bad things. And, yeah. Lots so of, there's lots of things when things get bigger. I think there's yeah, no. There's attorneys to be had. Yeah, all that stuff. So it's great to have the the know-how and and protection and the camaraderie and fellowship and brotherhood and sisterhood of all the other fellow podcasts that are on the network with us. So some of the some of the <clears throat> podcasts, I think there's 15 of us um, under the scales, which is uh, a fish podcast and uh, Inside Out with Turner and Seth. You got the Helping Friendly podcast. You got the Broke Down podcast. You got us, No Simple Road. Yeah. You got the Road to Now with Bob Crawford and Ben Sawyer. You got the Sound podcast with Ira Haberman. You got Beyond the Pond. You got State of the Garden. Guitar cast with Andy Keithley. You got Stranger Stopping Strangers. Bluest Tape. Daddy Unscripted. And all in with Aqueous. That's all the shows that That's are cool on. Name. Yeah. And they're all music and culture podcasts. They're all, I hate to use the moniker, but jam band ish related stuff. I Dad, Daddy, psychedelic rock. I don't yeah, get why people don't Psychedelic like rock. Thank you. And you guys will understand more why we're saying that once you hear this episode. Um, but yeah, so that's the announcement. No Simple Road is now part of a podcast network. It's Osiris. Osiris. And we're super excited for what that means. I know that it means that our family is going to grow. Yep. Yeah. I know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, I don't know what else to say. What what else is there to say? Yeah, thank you to all those involved yes. for asking us to and, come aboard. And thank That's... you to everyone that has been listening that gave us the bat, like the ability to, for them, or not the ability, but the likeability for them to want us yeah, to the audience, the audience. Without, yeah without recognized. you guys they would have been like oh who are these idiots talking yeah, these themselves poor, these <laughs> poor bumbling idiots like, well, what are they arguing about they could be saying that anyway well I mean they're the they show. are for, there's no way they're not being like who are these bumbling idiots <laughs> they like that are bringing it. listeners they like to our it. They network they like it wow what you're fucking weird Right on, bro. Yeah, you're you're <laughs> the only weird person in this room. Really. I know. It's, like, all it, of us it are makes normal. It so hard. Makes all, it, it's, so hard. it's making me uncomfortable, honestly. It is. Nobody. You're too close knows. to me. Anyway, guys, Did you we're super over? excited. This is a really cool opportunity Thanks. for No Simple Road, and I am excited to see where it goes. And like Ryder was saying, you know, at Dead and Company, what I'm thinking is like, you know, all of us love the dead also wasn't that justin's idea 
Yeah. Yeah. Shout that out to Justin. That's a good idea. idea. Um, all of us love the dead. And, you know, if you're going to be at the Eugene shows or you're going to be at Fish and you listen to No Simple Road, what a cool thing for us to get together and be able to meet up and interview some of the listeners and get to hang out together before yeah. the show also, and get to meet each other in person and it'll be is, like a destination for the show this is just a request from me you don't have to but i think it'd be really cool if people wore shirts to the dead shows the to the dead and company show where wore our shirts i'm definitely wearing a shirt i think because going topless to those shows i don't know it's man. gonna be summer know, well, dancing be dancing summer. without a shirt be really nice summer in the summer's pretty nice. You're pretty yeah. fair skinned, dude. You get sunburned fast. It's not going to be in the daytime. You just need what to quit wearing start? halter tops to concerts, right? I'll, it gets I'll, like late I'll, re- at like 10 I'll, re- I'll reapply. What, babe? You're right. It does get dark late, but I'll just keep reapplying. I don't know. I'm going to wear a No Simple Road shirt, and everyone else should too. Well, we I don't even sell cool. them yet. I, How well, can they get them if we, we don't even have se- them? We will really have been selling them for quite a while by the time Dead and Company rolls around. So this is true. Thank so you. anyway, we'll we'll talk more, guys, about that as the idea grows and the time gets closer and we flesh it out more. You guys are hearing yeah. our thoughts right now. And yeah, well, you guys are hearing our thoughts. So what, what, what is this week's episode? This is John Kadlasek. Mm-hmm. Oh. See? It's There's... future. That already happened. And now it's right now. You guys know what <laughs> I'm The future doing. is in the past, but in the present tomorrow. It's... On Tuesday. I, yeah, I was going to say, the, the past future is on Tuesday. Like twilight present. Zone. Jesus Christ. How are we supposed to keep all that straight? What a long... Because now, okay, we're supposed to be um, introing um, the John K show. That was like... No, Two we weeks are, ago. We already, we already introed it. This is the oh, pre-intro the intro. Intro. Oh, the pre-intro. Intro. This oh, is the mind. Osiris announcement we were oh, all excited far. for. And Yay! we just announced it to everybody. Yay! 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 Yay, we're part of Osiris. So, Darwin, I want you to do your new job. What? What's my job, Dad? You're... Your your new job. Oh yeah, I, I forgot. For, already. I forgot. Did you Are you sure that I'm ready or not? One voice. Read your voiceover, Darwin. Here, let me get you the mic. Oh, you have so many voices. Wait. Okay. See where it says right. Um, not the thanks then that one. No oh, simple road. I see. Okay, come on, Darwin. Get it together. He's grooming himself. Hold yeah. on. This is the first time I did it, and I'm a little nervous. Well, just relax. Everything's I will. okay. <gasps> Fine, okay, guys, this podcast is part of the Osiris Network, and that is a growing community of music and culture podcasts. It connects music and fans like you with conversations and commentary, and, of course, music. Check out OsirisPod.com for more great podcasts, and you'll hear more about Osiris at the end of this episode. Is that good or not? That was good, Darwin. Okay. Very good job, buddy. Thanks, Dan. I might give you a T R E A T later. Yay, no, I know what that spells. I know I can. <laughs> I can spell trees. I can spell treat all day. Okay, I spelled just the word treat, and he is reacting to the spelling. I think everyone. So were those treats just specific to Darwin? Do we get tweets? Anyway, guys, that's it. Thank you for helping us get to where we're at and, and being awesome in general. we love you guys and you're an amazing amazing crew and uh, just the fucking coolest listeners everywhere man and i don't even know enjoy john cadlasek yeah enjoy john cadlasek and 
us being part of a network and media partnered with Relics and Tom Marshall and fucking wow. Now you're just name dropping. Far out. I am. Boom. Drop the mic. Drop the mic. They're attached to things. Simple Road, how you guys doing out there? We're back with another fun-filled, glorious, magnificent, festivus episode. This week's John Kadlasek, and I went into this one really with just excited to talk to him and get to know who he is, and I think I can speak for all of us. Am I safe speaking for all of us, guys? Probably. Usually, I don't know. We gotta say it first, and then I'll say yes or no. Do we really have a say so in this? Collectively, blew our minds. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Oh okay. Yeah. 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 All right. His his outlook on music and the world we live in, and just inside of his mind is there's a lot going on in there. This is a smart cat, and gave me a different outlook on on his whole deal. He just explained things so wonderfully. That's it. Like, I don't think that his views were so crazy out there. I think that he just has a way of explaining things that really wraps your mind around it and gets you to understand it immediately. And honestly, most of the things he was talking about was like common sense stuff. But it was kind of like didn't realize was common sense until after he explained it. Exactly. Yeah, it was like going to a class. Melanie uh-huh. said that at the end. She's no, very, very well Apple put. Apple said that. Huh? Apple said that. Yeah, it was like going to a class, and he was the professor. Yeah. And yeah. So we guys took you on a class today. Professor Kadlasek. <laughs> so, all right, guys. Here's the deal. Follow us on Instagram at No Simple Road. On Instagram is where you can find out about uh, upcoming episodes, pictures of the family, all that kind of stuff. And also, since we're building this amazing little community together, um, go on there. And when you are taking pictures of stuff, hashtag No Simple Road. And on our website, it will show the last 20 most recent Instagram stuff. I don't know what. Like Like doggies. Take a picture of your doggies. (laughs) Okay. And And hashtag NSR or no simple road. Yeah, don't say hashtag NSR. NSR. Sorry. Or your cats. If you're a cat person. Cats are cool too. We do like the Or your hedgehog. Yeah, or your piggies. Whatever. How about your pets? Never mind. That's a sad thing. I like robo hamsters. If anybody has a robo hamster or a finger monkey. Yeah, those are cool too. Finger monkeys are rad. So yeah. Oops, I hit the mic. So don't touch Good the mic. Oh, God, this is hard. Doing podcasting is difficult, man. No, it's not. Stop it. Oh, I'm so exhausted <laughs> from sitting here talking. I can't. So, yeah, Instagram. And then head over to nosimpleroad.com. And there is a bunch of amazing shit. So we have a merch page where you could buy stickers. And we're almost out of the original logo stickers for No Simple Road. I told you guys in the last episode that we're going to be changing the logo soon because of a big announcement. And that's where you can get those stickers on the merch page at No Simple Road. Then down at the bottom of the page is the Amazon link. You can go through that portal and bookmark it. And that way you don't got to go to our website first before you go to Amazon. You can just bookmark that portal once you go through it. And if you're going to buy stuff on Amazon, they will give us a small percentage of what you spend. And it's a way for you to support the show without spending money that you weren't normally going to spend anyway. So that's a good thing that you can do to help the family out. And then speaking of money, guys, Patreon, patreon.com forward slash no simple road. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Supporting us. 
Say it, Mel. Well, that was it? Well, no, I won't do a big speech like I did last week about it, but I just want to say thank you to the continuing supporters and the new ones. It's really rad that you are doing that to like show your love to us, and that's all I can say. Yep, so that's patreon.com forward slash no simple road. And guys, listen, I say it every episode we need your help. You know, there's costs associated with this thing. And I was thinking about it while I was brushing my teeth today. And like we put out four episodes a month, pretty much. So if you gave a buck a month, that's like you paying 25 cents an episode. <laughs> and that's not a lie. I think this is worth a quarter. So, you know, that's a that's thing. Super cute. <laughs> that, that a Quarters are even cuter than a dollar. It's true. Yeah. Scientifically, so, that quarters are cuter than dollars. It's true. Four times cuter, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's patreon.com forward slash no simple road. Also, the Facebook page. Am I forgetting anything? Oh, iTunes, uh, Apple Music, uh, YouTube. YouTube, drop YouTube. a like and subscribe. Yeah, Google Play Music. Smash that like button. Smash that like and subscribe on YouTube. And then you know, Apple Podcast and Google Play Music. Go on there and leave us a five-star review. I just have to say and interrupt this. Darwin's being so cute right now. You should see his little face. She's petting his cheeks. It's super cute. It was a way for me to distract um, Aaron from the business parks. I hate it. So now I don't even know. Oh, yeah. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Google Play Music. Leave us a review. That's a way that you can spread the word about the show and people can find out about it. And we go up in the rankings and you guys are rad. Go in Uh, there and tell us about your day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the forum. Forum on the website, on the, too. On the comments. But yes, absolutely go into the forum and tell us about your day. Because now there's like three people. It's like a room with three people with talking three to people each other. talking to each other. I said I was going to put my story on. Yeah, you, you didn't did. put your story. So those are the things. Yeah, so okay, neither one of that episode nor this episode will be out. See, so you got like two weeks. You're fine. <laughs> so I saw one of our listeners took a picture of the back of her car. And on her window is a Grateful Dead sticker, a CRB sticker, and a No Simple Road sticker. And thank you, Rosie. Thank you, thank you, thank you for that. Last names, man. That's that's not. Oh, okay, okay, cool. That's her her her. Instagram name. All right, her Insta. So, I hope Rosie. That was really cool to see. That was a cool thing. Like to be counted among that company on that window. It's a huge honor for me and us, and I appreciate it. So my point in telling the story was, if you've purchased stickers or you see them out in the wild somewhere, take a picture of it, man, and hashtag No Simple Road so that we could see where the stickers are ending up. Because that's fucking cool, you guys, to, you know, build the community and see where everybody's at. And here's Justin's favorite part of the episode. Let's just let it happen. Thank you, Darwin. Darwin's having a drink. Oh, drink in the water. Yep. There you go, Justin. There's Darwin adding his contribution. So that's all the business stuff. It was a little disjointed and helter-skelter this week because it's been a trippy weekend. Yeah. And to say the least. And a trippy week. And there's another trippy week coming. Mm-hmm. I, think, another trippy I think we might be living in a trippy life. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. It's fine. It's fine. Whatever. So... Ladies and gentlemen, I w- what? I was going to add just one last thing because I just like to do it, and she's always on our mind. Carrie. Hi, Carrie. 
Hi, Carrie. <laughs> and, you know, the invitation's always open. We were happy you were going to come, and then you weren't. But what you're doing sounds really cool. And just know you're always on our mind, and we appreciate you. Yeah. So big hug. Squeeze. All right. So, <sighs> ladies and gentlemen, without further ado... I give you the genius, the virtuoso, the magical, the mystical, the wizard of guitar, John Cadlesack. Here we go. This is going to be interesting. John Cadlesack. Hello? John. Yes. How you doing, man? Good. Is this Aaron? Yeah, this is Aaron. How's it going? Hey. All right. How you doing? I'm good, brother. Um, I'm going to introduce you to the rest of the crew that's sitting here with me, man. Uh, right here at my right hand is my wife, Melanie. Hi there, John. Good. How you doing, Melanie? I'm doing great. Super excited to talk to you today. Oh, thanks. And then over across from me is my brother. Is my brother Apple? Good morning, John. Thanks for being on the show. And, Good morning. And Ryder. So hey there, you got four of us on the phone with you, man. All right. <laughs> well, hey, you know, our thing, like, we're all huge deadheads in this house, and we started this podcast kind of just telling our stories about, you know, how we got turned on to the dead and all that, and it's kind of morphed since then. It's growing, and it's becoming this thing that we started and you're a huge part of that for us man um you know your music and what you do is integral in that world and in our lives and i just got to start off by saying thank you brother thank you for what you do you know well my brother it's just uh i know i can't imagine uh any other (laughs) any other path at this point yeah, ain't um, no place I'd brother. rather be, right? <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious, man. Like I, I was reading up about you and I was reading about how you got started in music and stuff. And it, it wasn't the guitar that, that brought you in. It was the violin, right? No, that's correct. Yeah. I mean, really, uh, you know, really, really, I could say, that, you know, a xylophone. I mean, I, I, I had, uh, you know, I, I taught myself to read music, you know, when I was really young, just kind of from a, you know, a book that came with a color-coded xylophone, you know, and there was no notes. So we have Fisher-Price <laughs> you know, to thank for John Kay. Pretty straightforward. <laughs> yeah, to some degree, yeah. And, I, but, you know, I, and then by the time I was nine, I was just, I was really into the sound of a, of a violin, and I, I chose that. It was something I wanted to do. Wow. Uh, so... It- what was like the I mean, early? My dad would have been much happier for me to go into uh, you know management of some sort. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think was not a thing. I, I mean, you know, they they agreed to rent a violin for me, but uh, and eventually, uh, my grants, you know, when I grew into a, my hands grew to full size, uh, there was a family violin that was my grandfather's that I uh, was handed down to me. But <laughs> I never got private lessons. This was all public school, my choice. <laughs> so, so your grandpa played too. Uh, yeah, I guess. But I mean, I don't remember hearing him play, you know. <laughs> but he, uh, my grandfather on my dad's side, yeah, played violin. Uh, wow, that's not professionally though. That's kind of cool. So, 
like growing up, was the house filled with music all the time, or was that just something that was well, your thing? Nah, man. My dad's a city manager, and my mom is a painter. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. There was no. My, I never heard my grandfather play violin. I just heard okay. about it. I got and, you. And uh, most of the time, I saw this violin. It was in pieces in a uh, in a Slovakian crib that my you know. <laughs> and at one point, they decided to you know my my grandfather decided to pay to have it repaired and shipped to me. Wow, that's kind of cool. Like you get to to play the instrument that your grandpa played, and that was kind of your entree into the world and all that. That's kind of special and cool. So, the early, I, you know, I studied classical violin. I didn't have any. Uh, I didn't really have a whole lot of rock and roll in my life, except for Beatles records. So, uh, you know, I had Rubber Soul through. I helped through a Magical Mystery Tour. You know, that I could throw on my little. Uh, you know, portable uh, <laughs> turntable with one speaker. <laughs> and what what was the thing with Star Wars, man? Oh, the Star, yeah. Well, then that was the other. Uh, you know, I was part of the inspiration to to uh, uh, to pick up the violin was the soundtrack of Star Wars. So it was right there at that age. You know, <laughs> you know, as a kid, so I like- had that double. Yeah, I had. That was my other record, you know. I had a double record as a soundtrack, and I played that to death. As a kid, that Star Wars stuff was like, I remember being so awed and blown away with the music from that, too. Like, it was such a grand thing. I could see how that could move you to want to play. Well, probably my first attempt to play a a cover song from from the 20th century would have been uh, like grade school music trying to do the Star Wars theme with a a piano player, a friend of mine. That's badass. That's really cool. It was a catastrophe, but... (laughs) (laughs) Is it it the first try always a catastrophe? You know, come on, (laughs) to be honest. (laughs) So, you know... Uh, know, That was the first attempt to collaborate on a music project, yeah, with just some up here, you know, as opposed to uh, participating in, you know, an orchestra or whatever, it's too bad we don't have a recording of that. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> so I, I'm always curious, like when I get to talk to people that have inspired me that are also deadheads, like I know my first experience with the dead was life altering to say the least. Um, and you've taken it so far, man. Like, what was your your first show like? Your first experience in the Dead World? Uh, well, I tried to go see a show in uh, the summer of '88 uh, at Alpine Valley, and I drove up there, and it was the day off. <laughs> okay. They were in like a they were in like two nights and a day off and two nights or something like that, and uh, at that point, you know, at Alpine Valley, you know, camp, you know, parking was free and camping overnight was permitted in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. You could just, just go up and camp with the hippies, but you know, I I, I walked around, uh, you know, and there were there were thousands of people, thousands of cars. I don't know how many thousands of people just hanging out on the day off. Um, and I walked around and heard a, a, a live sitar played by somebody for the first time in my life. I had a you know, that's just sort of another thing I acquired from being a Beatles. <laughs> a little Beatles freak was, uh, you know, George, George Harrison's sitar work all over those Beatles records. And, nice. um, so, like, to finally hear one live was, you know, you know, 
for that adventure. It was at least worth the drive up. <laughs> yeah. But then I finally got to see uh, I finally got to see a show in the spring of '89 at Rosemont Horizon. Um, you know, at that point, I you know I I was kind of already you know looking for the next thing after rock and roll. I mean, this is the late '80s. Uh, you know. Right. Um, I'd. Uh, you know, I've been, you know, I've been in three or four bands at this point, all of which tried, you know, which played, you know, tried to write original music in addition to playing covers. And, uh, um, yeah, then I, uh, I taught myself multi-track recording, you know, I was renting studio equipment to record demos of original songs in my bedroom in high school. So, right. um, they were terrible songs. You'll never hear them. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, uh, you know, you got to start somewhere. Totally. Um, it seems and, like you uh, were ambitious, you know, so John. Like, uh, I was kind of, well, I, I guess, I, I was kind of an autodidact, which means I have like an OCD about learning. Mm. So, like, as soon as I burned through the official material, the, the next thing available was trying to figure out how a teacher was teaching us. And, you know, once, once you're there, then you're teaching yourself, you know. And it was just like, devour everything from uh, you know computer programming to uh, you know to, to music to model rocketry to you know uh, you know wilderness camping to <laughs> uh, <laughs> anything I can get my hands on yeah totally but that, but, that first but, uh, show you know, music was a big piece for certain yeah that first show I mean um, that for me like I said before was life altering like it was a game changer when you left your first show did you like was it different for you after that were you like okay this is the thing this is where I'm going like uh, well I mean I, I was actually kind of heading that way I was already kind of looking for you know I, I had kind of heard uh, you know there were a few bands sort of doing um, following in the footsteps it wasn't they didn't have the jam band term yet which I kind of hate anyway but uh, um but, you know, Edie Raquel and the New Bohemians, I think, were, uh, you know, a clear, you know, I think the first, you know, modern era jam band, actually. Yeah. Um, it's too bad what happened to the record label crushed them. But, uh, uh, but, uh, I didn't, I had no idea about that. You know, I was kind of looking, you know, I was kind of looking for, you know, the next thing. I was, you know, I was reading uh, Alan Watts and Carlos Castaneda and, uh, Robert Anton Wilson, and I was kind of like wanting to, uh, like, you know, come up with a new age rock and roll or a Zen rock and roll or something like that, you know. Um, you know, rock and roll with a little more, you know, with all the grit and dirtiness, but, you know, musically uh, and energy, but without necessarily uh, caving so hard on just, uh, you know, simplistic lyrics or. <laughs> yeah, and trying to find um, the thing that's, that's you know, then, pure, too. Right. And, you know, and I was like 18 trying to figure this out, so my sense of poetic, you know, uh, uh, relevance was relatively undeveloped, you know, so it was great to come to the Grateful Dead and see how they worked, you know, uh, uh, ancient storytelling archetypes together with, you know, like early 20th century references that are actually timeless, Right. It's interesting to look at song to look at songs and see where they were, um, 
you know, for, for sort of cultural touchstone references, you know, because those things disappear and fade away, you know, or be, they, they make songs, identify with an era and become passe, but the dead, you know, went right for like 1920s stuff that was sort of already passe and made it relevant again. Right. Or, or 1800 stuff or, you know, or 1500s, you know, they, they, you know, some of the storytelling goes way, way back that they, that they draw from. Yeah. You take a song like, uh, so, and, and, yeah, that's old school. Well, that's a, that's a folk song. Yeah. I mean, that's just a straight up folk song, but lady with a fan, you know, draws from, uh, an old song called the lady of Carlisle. Uh, really? For example, or Stagger Lee, or, uh, you know, I mean, these are true, you know, Hunter uh, didn't write Tapio. Tapio has been recorded by hundreds of people over hundreds of years, you know? Right. Uh, and, you know, and people still argue on when they write set lists whether it should be Tapio or Scenario. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I think but, that uh, those, you know, those. So, and that's, that's sort of a thing, like, like that kind of folk thing is part of the folk tradition you know to take these songs you know nobody owns them and uh and you can modify them a little bit and make them yours whereas like what you know and the grateful dead had a lot of integrity in that department you know but they just say Led Zeppelin, who took songs who treated songs that were actual songs by you know african-american musicians and and then treated it like folk songs that they could just rearrange the words and <laughs> yeah, you know, but you know, whatever. <laughs> but hey, you got everybody does their thing, man. You know, I guess that's one yeah. thing that I've and learned then, in this and world. And Led Zeppelin is definitely, and it's definitely well documented. Uh, you know, Led Zeppelin's offenses in that <laughs> They're kind of unabashed when it's it comes not, to like, that. Not yeah. Surprising anybody here? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, they they have that. The Dead had that or have that knack that they take those things and, like you said, make them relevant again and. I, as a, well, they, as, they, under, they understood the folk, what the folk lineage is about, and it's not about acoustic instruments. It's not about, like, you know, the Kingston Trio. So the, the tradition of folk music is about writing songs that are real, regardless of whether they sell or not. It's mm. about writing music for grown-up adults that have experienced real life and not just 13-year-old girls. You know? um, and that's really what folk music is about. You know, I've never uh, heard it explained Dylan, like that. You know, that's that's the real aesthetic of folk music is is that it's music for folk as opposed to music to be sold. So, do you think and, that's why uh, it becomes so personal to us that that like you can? I've heard dead songs for thirty years and they change and morph and and change with my experience and become personal in different ways. And that I think that might be why I've never heard that before. But that's a piece of it. It's it's definitely that they were you know that they were in touch with uh, you know with how music is a you know a thing that uh, humans have had a relationship with for thousands of years. And there, this thing happened in the 20th century where all of a sudden it could be packaged onto a piece of plastic and sold, and lots of money could be made. And there were hit songs before that, but you know hit songs the way a hit, a hit song happened in 1850 is it was sheet music. Right. And the only way you heard it was because someone at the local saloon could play it on the piano. There was no play, but there, but there were still hit songs, you know. Right. Um, so, like for that, for you know, that's a huge shift that happened in the earliest early twentieth century, 
and it happened right at a time when uh, you know when macro capitalism was happening also, and it latched onto it and it, uh, and invented demographic studies in order to figure out that the people who had the most money to spend on music were thirteen year old, thirteen fifteen year old girls. So somewhere in the fifties became the business model of dialing in all music music merch for thirteen to fifteen year old girls. And so the folk music is a bit of a, a reaction to that, you know, of being like, What wait a minute <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um you know, so there became this massive propaganda campaign that, you know, just subliminally leaked in through everything of last year's music is passe, your older brother and sister's music is passe, you definitely shouldn't listen to your parents' music, and your grandpa's music is right out, forget it. You know, whereas it used wow. to be like, grandpa knows the best shit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. And, uh, wow. Right? He totally. And, uh, you know, somehow, and, and then the Grateful Dead were kind of, uh, you know, in, in, in my estimation, one of the, you know, uh, a principal force in trying to preserve a, a, a bigger sense of humanity's relationship to music in general. <laughs> it's well, a I, vital I uh, think force, and the, they they the, built their business model more on uh, on a uh, on a uh, utility model, the way you would run a utility rather than the way you would run a Walmart. <laughs> wow! <laughs> you know? So just the. The mix of psychedelics coming in, you know, breaking out in the 60s, you're talking about this subliminal model of, you know, selling to 13 year old girls and how last year's passe now and all that. Like when psychedelics came onto the scene, I think I think it freed people of that to some extent and opened everything up again. Absolutely. Absolutely. That was a big component of it. And not just for music, but for everything. Right. Sort of seeing through the whole um uh, advertising-driven uh, consumer economy. <laughs> right. You know, it's the beginning of the Matrix, if you understand that metaphor at all. Absolutely. The, the Matrix movies are, uh, are a metaphor for, uh, you know, being a, a citizen in a consumer-based economy. You used to sleep in a pod, you know, sending oh, a battery for a bigger machine, you know? Yeah, and they're sucking off your fear and your your power to power yeah. this machine yeah. that's running and you know like uh, it's if waking up into coming out of the matrix out of the construct and that was my entree like psychedelics and going to a dead show woke me up it showed me yeah. what was going on i was like oh shit what do i do now kind of thing and <laughs> the, the music yeah. taught me how to live again and taught me how to be a person and and find my ground and find my center. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely, absolutely. I think that you know that that was supplemental for me in a, in a, in a very tangible way. But I think I'd already, uh, you know, again, kind of coming back to the autodidact thing, I'd applied that to looking at our at our, at our culture and our society, and kind of you know had figured out even before pot and acid that uh that, that you know making a big pile of money wasn't where it was at <laughs> and i certainly you know i certainly could have chosen a career path uh you know any number of reliable safe bets but i kind of decided that uh that being a um you know a diy musician also put every skill i had in play you know thank you for doing um, that so I, you know and, and that making less money meant making meant 
putting less money into bond purchases. <laughs> wow. You know, and that, that got yes. tapped into that that essential component of the counterculture early, you know, even before I got into the debt or pot or acid. Um, wow. But just the case we made that, that the, uh, I think 16, 17, I was somewhere in there. I was on a track, honestly, at one point to go to West Point. Oh, <laughs> shit. Well, I'm glad you didn't. And just kind of was like, um, you know, no. <laughs> what a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, I, I don't think I'm going to do that. That's not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> I'm good. I, oh. <laughs> wow. You, John, you're kind of blowing my mind right now. Yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah because, because we haven't even really talked about your music, and now, honestly, I'm not interested. I want you to keep talking about what you're talking about. Oh, well. Wow. <laughs> like, you just seem like so much more than that guitar right now. I I tell you, man. I, Wait a minute. Do do people really talk to you about other stuff? Like when you do interviews, like do people really get to this a different part of your, you know, life? Uh, well, well, this is my relationship to uh, to uh, to folk music and uh, and it's and the Grateful Dead being you know and Bob Dylan and the band being like the core um, pioneers of launching that into electric, taking that artistic aesthetic and, and going ahead and diving into the machine trying to see what you can do anyway uh, it's been a core yeah definitely a core point for me for a long time but uh, you know it, it can spin off in different directions all the time I'm not really familiar with the podcast format so much so I tend to be uh, a little bit rambling and tangential I, I love good. it that's us man that's our deal <laughs> that, that's what a podcast is a bunch of rambling <laughs> Look, I, I don't know if, what deadheads are good at, but one thing we're good at is rambling and being tangential. And telling so, stories. Yeah. And thanks for sharing your stories, because I know I'm interested, so a bunch of people will definitely be interested in hearing your 16-year-old self. Yeah, for sure. I, I, my thing is just getting to know you, man. Like, I, Being a, a, a quote-unquote fan of something is a strange thing, because, you know, you you kind of are letting a wall down and you let people you don't know into your life and the and music and, and, the, and their words shape you and change you. You know what I mean? So for us, like this just started as us hanging out on the porch and having these conversations with each other about psychedelics and music and life and everything and has changed into what we're doing right now and finding out, you know, what makes people tick and it's helping us to like create this tapestry of, you know, putting together the loose threads and figuring out where we are and who we are, you know? Well, yeah. Well, I'd say like, you know, an, uh, an essential, uh, uh, informative piece for me, uh, you know, about the early San Francisco music scene, uh, was actually a, um, Uh, a book um, Ralph Gleason wrote in uh, 1969 called Jefferson Airplane and the San Francisco Sound and it, and it talks it focuses in on uh, um, the family dog and uh, Chet Helms okay 
who was kind of like, you know, he was like the, the focalizer of the family dog, which was, a, you know, like a, a production company in San Francisco. They were like a, um, but they were like the, they were the hippie production company. You know, the Bill Graham Presents would be the, uh, you know, the entertainment industry production company. And Bill Graham was, you know, as uh, as music guys go, was a, was a great dude. <laughs> but Chet Helms was a, was a hippie guy. And a counterculture guy and a, and a beatnik and uh, mm. and those bands, you know, including the Grateful Dead, the Jefferson Airplane, uh, Big Brother and the Holding Company, um, the, the Great Society, which is sort of a precursor to uh, Jefferson Airplane, uh, were were bands that regarded their what they were doing, their artistic collaboration, as sort of like a psychic spaceship that they were making. You know, that would right. just that would bring you know energy into the physical plane. Do you do that they in your just, music, you know, They weren't just guys going, let's make some records and make some money. They're guys that were like, ooh, let's change the world. <laughs> you, know, yep. and, you know, using art. <laughs> totally. And, uh, and it's interesting to get that, you know, that's kind of a hard-to-find book these days, but uh, um, but I consider it a cornerstone in my understanding of um of the San Francisco scene in the in the sixties. Well, that that whole thing has has birthed this music that we all love and listen to. And there's, you know, at, at one point it was the San Francisco sound and whatever that meant. And it's so much more now. And I always say the the cat's out of the bag. Like it's on the words on the street. It is changing. We are changing the world when, when we go to shows and, and we do that weird thing that we all do together, those ripples and vibrations go out and are healing to what's going on out there. Wow. Well, that's, that's been the, um, you know, the, uh, I'm say music had a few different forms where it was a group dance thing going back in time, but usually before electricity, it involved drums. Right. <laughs> right. Um, you know, and uh, other other forms didn't have so much. Well, there was country, certainly country dances. But country dances are a little bit more um, sort of like what, what line dances became. It was a little bit of a societal structure to, to get the young boys and girls together and so you know, and mix them up enough that they could all figure out who who uh, lit sparks for each other. Um, and it was just sort of part about uh, the you know, survival of the pack. <laughs> you know, producing right. the next round of of uh, human beings. Um, but uh, in uh, you know, in, in African drumming, you know, it, it sort of evolved into uh, you know, Telekuti style, uh, you know, Afro funk. You know, it was much more about people getting sort of in touch with their personal muse and dancing as a way to, you know, as a way to heal and a way to, uh, to access altered states. Right. Um, and that's definitely one of the things we get, you know, another big piece we get with Grateful Dead music is they incorporated that thread into their, to the experience. And I think that's kind of part of what the, what the family dog was about because, uh, at the time the family dog began like dancing, if you didn't have a permit, for a dance concert, dancing wasn't allowed. What? In San Francisco. You know, and so like they were, you know, they, they, that's why they talk about, you know, the Grateful Dead, you know, or the Warlocks playing at Magoo's Pizza Parlor or something because it was a place that sort of like fell through the cracks as far as the regulation of that went. But the Family Dog and those and those 
core bands were also instrumental in sort of bringing bringing back to America the notion of just dancing on your own. I mean, if you went to a show in, you know, if you went to go see Elvis Presley in 1957, you twirled on your own in the back. They were they were calling the you know, call the cops. The, psychi- the, the yeah. psychiatrist out to wrap you up and take you away. Right. You know, it was like, what the hell are you doing back there? You know, I how dare to, you to move? make that a, a sort of central piece of enjoying music. And now it's no big deal. You can go to see anything from Motley Crue to to the new new Christy Mitchells, and if you stand up and dance, you know, it's no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I, I think, but that- they did that, and that's the thing they don't get a whole lot of credit for. That's another thing I like to come back to. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think that we're missing we're missing ritual as a, as a culture, and a lot of the ritual that we have in society today is television and being programmed by media and this thing yeah, that when we go to concerts, that's for me and my family here, man. That that's our ritual time. That's our time to dance and get out of our head and get out of our own way and and yeah. experience reality you know because the windows get dirty yeah the television tickles that thing in us that remembers staring at a campfire you know six thousand years ago <laughs> but it, it, you know but it just tickles it enough to keep you you know sucked in <laughs> wow yeah <laughs> That's for sure. well and instead of seeing the visions that you would see in the fire you're seeing these visions that they want you to see these projections right it, Exactly. Like stealing your authentic connection to have your own visionary experience and substituting it with, you know, their, you know, meme and advertising driven, (laughs) you know, know, making a profit for shareholders. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, we can do what we do and I guess kind of working from the inside of that thing. And that's beautiful in my book. You know, yeah, they think they're going to make money on the concert. And maybe they will. But guess what? We're going to pour out a whole bunch of beautiful energy that's going to push that back a little mm. bit. And maybe there's 10 people in the audience that are going to their eyes are going to pop open that night. You never know. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, since we're in this cool. vein, vein of conversation, <laughs> I so I saw you. I've seen you a couple times, but the time that i remember the most was in vegas at the brooklyn bowl is oh okay yeah the brooklyn bowl in vegas and one of the things that struck me about you bro was you were hanging out at the merch table and and you were out in the crowd with everybody and and so accessible with you there wasn't that wall of like artist and fan you were just out there with us and man it really changed the game as far as the way I felt the music that night. Hmm. Oh. I, I completely. Uh, let, let me interject for a second. Cause Aaron was saying where I was going to kind of take it uh, to, I'm, I'm looking at it now. 2013, you played uh, Aaron saw you, like he just said, and he came to me. We'd both kind of put in, we always listen to the grateful dead, but we'd kind of put that life on hold since Jerry had passed and Aaron comes to me and is like, dude, you have to go see this band with me. You have to go see further. And he took the whole family, Melanie. And you're also responsible for turning their 18-year-old daughter at the time onto the Grateful Dead. Because we all came and saw you at the Pearl. 
and from the moment you opened up with Here Comes Sunshine, and just, I'm looking at the set list now, and it's bringing back, like, chills, you know, the goosebumps, and you're very influential in bringing me back into this scene, and I just wanted to thank you for that, and also their daughter, when she's a huge Beatles fan, and second set, you came out and Mm. did Here Comes the Sun, and you taught me how to dance again. Grateful Dead taught me how to dance when I was into Slayer and Metallica back in the eighties. <laughs> once yeah. I went to a dead show that, you know, then it was like, Oh, I learned to dance. I learned to live. And then you brought that back for me. And that's, I just want to throw that out and say, thank you so much. And their daughter. <laughs> and, and me too. That was my, and that was Ryder. Yeah. That was Ryder. Who's Aaron's and, nephew. And that was his ever first since show. That day I, I've been hooked and it was cause of you. So thank you. <clears throat> No, well, the, you know, the, when, that was a big piece for me, uh, seeing the Grateful Dead for the first time was just, uh, you know, I hadn't really, I hadn't really found a music that I could cut loose and relax, uh, and be myself dancing, you know, since seeing Bluegrass and Bluegrasses and Smoky Mountains, you know, again, as, uh, really young, but I didn't get a whole lot of exposure to that outside of the occasional summer visits to my, you know, to that <laughs> the grandparents that actually lived in the North Carolina area. So, but and then, then kind of coming back to yeah you know, and seeing the dead, I'm like, wow, just everybody's dancing. <laughs> everybody's dancing. Yeah. yeah, and it's good, you know. And it's, no one, you know, there's no, you know, there's no like, <laughs> no one's doing their moves. <laughs> no one's trying to, <laughs> you know, uh, whatever. Everyone's just kind of being themselves, and it was, you know, that was definitely a life changing. Uh, experience for me and it's what I like to you know keep in touch with when I play you know Grateful Dead music so being being adept and that's at, what I like to keep in touch with playing any music actually yeah and being being adept at playing an instrument there's a level of muscle memory that you reach as a professional I would imagine where it becomes automatic at some point and do you ever like because I know I feel like this watching you play does it ever feel like channeling to you? Well, it's not. It's not like automatic, like the way your signature is automatic. It's more like automatic, like hitting the brakes and the gas at the right time, and the steering wheel on a car automatic. You know, it's still all okay. reacting to the moment automatic. It's not running through the routine automatic. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. Um. So. Um, no, I was just saying, like, does it, is it ever, you know, does it ever feel like something's coming through, you know, like it's, it's taken over? Uh, well, uh, the connection to the, mu- the connection to the muse is, is something I've thought for a long time. I mean, my, I, when I studied classical violin, it was, uh, you know, it was all just playing the notes that were there in front of you. And there's, there's inter- room to interpret in the dynamic, you know, how loud to quiet and quiet to loud and the speed and depth of your vibrato and the intensity of how you bite, bite into certain notes and things like that. But, um, but I definitely was, was, uh, wanting to know about improvisation and my, uh, the the resources available to me through violin were hitting a dead end. I picked up guitar to kind of uh, to learn about improvisation, and you know, I, you know, first it was just that muscle memory thing of like, okay, putting these, this, you know, learning, you know, and chords was the initial mystery of guitar for me. Uh, as a violinist, I could, you know, I had 
memorize the entire first violin part of the first movement of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, let's say, as well as a half dozen other similarly complex pieces, you know. And those are strings of individual notes, but uh, actually, I was a little intimidated by multiple notes at the same time. (laughs) So that was kind of my initial tackle, and that was the muscle kind of technique thing you're talking about. But then, you know, the drive was about improvisation, and... uh, and I would, I'd learn these licks. Okay, here's a lick. Here's a blues lick. I'm learning them out of a book, whatever. And then basically it was getting in, you know, into my first jam session with a drummer and a bass player. And let's just do some, you know, I'm like, all right, well, let's do some three-chord blues, I guess. And all of a sudden, bam. That's when the, that's where the muse shows up. Oh, shit. And like all of a sudden, the muse is telling me how to string these different licks together and deconstruct them and turn them in, you know, and hang them on an, on a melody, you know. Like the licks are, are like the little, you know, the licks you learn are just like the the ornaments, you know, oh, wow. that you put uh, in a drawing. But then there's a subject matter that you're always trying to, to come up with. And, you know, when you do a painting, it's like, what's the, what's the subject? And then you're, there's your ornamentations and those are styles. So it's maybe it's blues or it's country, it's whatever. But, wow. you know, the point is to always have a subject to say, you know, that it isn't just the, uh, uh, to, to play about or sing about or make notes about <laughs> fine melodies. Those are the melodies, you know. And the melodies themselves are simple and they come through any instrument. I mean, sing it, play it on a piano, play it on a guitar or whatever. Then there's the, you know, when people talk about, you know, the Garcia licks, that's like the dressing that melody up with some, some ornamentations that in, uh, infuse it with energy. And that actually kind of comes from um, Hindustani classical, uh, classical Indian music. Okay. And, uh, you know, uh, ragas, you know, that, that genre or that tradition, lineage, uh, didn't have chord changes, but they had mastered um, how to infuse a melody with a quality using licks, you know. So, uh, you know, the different ragas would, you know, would work better at just certain times of day, you know. They'd be like, you, you only use these licks at sunset, <laughs> you know, because yeah. that's when they really have power. And these are things they figured out over hundreds and hundreds of years, you know? Um, and, you know, that's part of what comes into the electric guitar world, I, I think, is, is a neat thing that the that electric guitar, I think a violin has it too, certainly, you know, uh, listen to someone like Stefan Grappelli or, um, um, uh, I don't know, I'm blanking on uh, Old Man Away, um, um, David Grossman? Actually, it's a pleasure to Oh. Um, Vester Clemens. Oh, okay. Um, you know, where they have, you know, you, you, you know, and Jerry had that too, clearly. You know, there's licks you can identify. But he also had, he was also, you know, he's hanging those licks on something. He wasn't just regurgitating them. He was hanging those licks on, that's the muse. It shows up, it gives a real melody. Or it doesn't. And then you have, and then, you know, because <laughs> the muse is fickle. <laughs> Yeah, and I guess that's where you have a nice, like you know, improvisational musicians also develop a bag of tricks. But it's like you know, some guys that never get beyond the bag of tricks. <laughs> well, it's it's strange to, to hear you say that. To I hang it on, you're supposed to look for something else to hang them on. Yeah, I never, I never thought about that. Like that, a a, a lick 
could have be infused with an energetic signature. It could have an emotional quality, too, yeah. a really specific emotional quality, you know. Or it could just be something that, you know, you want the melody supposed to go up a couple notes there, and you find an interesting way to get there other than just the obvious simple go to that note, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. You know, the licks serve as, like, uh, like little, over, you know, erector set modules that, that stand in for parts of your, you know, your, the, the melody that the muse gives you. It's, it, or doesn't. It's so it's such a trip to to hear it come from you that way because you know we don't get to experience the inside of your mind so to speak while you're playing like that and to hear it that way gives me personally a different perspective on what's happening to me while I'm listening and then so do you find that the the crowd the energy of the crowd makes a difference in the quality of what's coming out of you? I don't know about the, well, the quality, I mean, depending on what you mean by quality, it's certainly quality in a general general term. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's why I I go out, you know, as well as obviously the musicians I'm playing with. So, it's almost... (laughs) It's almost like the psychedelic experience thing too, in a in a in a laboratory kind of way, where you have um, you know you have your known factors, the musicians you're playing with, or they always bring random elements every day, and you have the unknown factor of the uh, the uh, physical environment, you know, setting up in the room and Set, then the people that show up. Yeah. So. Wow. I. So you're playing here in Portland tomorrow night, right? Yeah. Well, that's what I was just going to add. I was going to add, see you've been uh, running around Oregon. We moved up here to Portland about two years ago from Las Vegas, and we have just fallen in love with this place. It's changed our lives. It's made us healthier. Just wondering if you're enjoying, you were in Bend, Eugene. Now you're going to be here tomorrow night. Uh, How are you enjoying Oregon? Oh, I love Oregon. Yeah, and uh, I've uh, uh, my uh, I have a, a sweetie with a homestead out here. Oh, my, right on. My uh, sweetie, my sweetie, who uh, who uh, reconnected with after a couple of decades. <laughs> oh, that's cool, man. Uh, it turns out to uh, so I'm having a good excuse to come out here a lot more often. Well, we're, we get the benefit and, uh, of that uh, too. We actually, <laughs> <laughs> so just to keep an eye, it was just to keep an eye on the homestead. So it's like, yeah, okay, we come out here on time, book some shows, and uh, and as it was, this was kind of a hard area to try and get to regularly before. It's uh, you know, San Francisco gigs pop up all the time, and I just fly in and do them, you know. But it doesn't allow for driving, you know. It doesn't make it easy to drive up this way. Yeah, at shows. Um, so this has been a cool. Uh, um, there's a thing beautiful development yeah there's a there's a thing up here man i i tell you the crowd the, the flavor up here is a lot different like we uh not last night but the night before went and saw phil and terrapin family band here and oh, how was that dude i'm gonna tell you something man Excellent. it was it was amazing i it's i've seen a lot of shows that's in my top three favorite shows I've ever seen. They they brought the house down. They came out and tore the roof off Crystal Ballroom. 
That place exploded. And this, the Portland family, the Grateful Dead family here in Portland has a particular and peculiar energy that is different than anywhere I've ever experienced a show. Hmm. It's this, I don't know, this forest dwelling, foot stomping. We just came out of the woods energy that is just badass, man. So it was incredible. And <clears throat> to see Eric Krasno with them was great. We just got to talk to him a few weeks ago. So seeing him, you know, in person and then getting to experience the music was amazing. And, and I was just blown away. Never really had heard uh, Elliot Peck join them singing. It was just oh. amazing. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But do you do you find that like from town to town, coast to coast is because I know when I was on tour in the 90s, there's a difference between an East Coast and a West Coast show in the quality of the feeling. Oh, absolutely. And Midwest and yeah. Southeast and Texas, Southwest. They all got different, different uh, flavors, Rockies. Yeah. Yep. So we've had a chance to like peek inside of that mind that of yours. And I'm curious, what do you, what do you see like happening for the future, man, for, for, for the music and, and what you're doing? Um, well, I'm hoping to just, uh, you know, write some more tunes and keep playing, uh, the music, uh, you know, it's just hard to make predictions about where, right. you know, yeah. where things are going. It's, uh, but, you know, I, I, I consider, uh, you know, it's, it's been said by many that, the you know, the Grateful Dead are, uh, you know, are sort of woven into the tapestry of, of, uh, you know, the American experience, and I, I go so far to say it's the, it's, you know, it's the heart song of the American experience, you know, what, what, that Rainbow family, uh, you know, heart song is just sort of the individual, you know, like a person's expression of themselves, and I, I see it as the, you know, uh, a core component of the, you know, the entire American story. Yeah. <laughs> so, we, I think it's going to keep going. Yeah, we um, just. I hope it doesn't uh, fall into just being uh, another uh, uh, branded consumable media thing. You know, I, I think the quality but, uh, of it won't allow for that. <laughs> and we just interviewed uh, a local Grateful Dead tribute band, the Garcia Birthday Band, here in Portland a couple of weeks ago, and one of the guys in the band said, "I see the Grateful Dead as the pinnacle of human evolution." and experience and that really rang my bell like to hear it put like that and then together with what you just said yeah absolutely yeah. it's it's americana at its, and it's purest and it's it's tricky the uh, the tribute band stigma thing because uh it's it's tough because there's a good reason to uh to be wary certainly of the tribute band notion is because it kind of just feeds they generally you know for most bands that uh, that you know most artists that people do tributes to the tribute band's goal is to come as close as possible to the uh, to the hit to the hit song that everybody recognizes, including all you know every 
every little guitar lick, every keyboard, you know, the solo yeah. note for note. And um, uh, it's it's a tricky balance for people to to you know versus uh, playing in a, a you know maybe I don't know what you would call it a genre band you know like bluegrass band. And the thing is, is to do to do a quote unquote Grateful Dead tribute right, really what you're doing is the same thing a bluegrass band does or a reggae band does or a blues band or a country band, which is just that you make it sound the way you the way it should because you love it. But it isn't a note for note thing. It's just there's there's simple rules you follow that still allow for infinite variation and for complete improvisation of all parts. But you're following, you know, within certain prescribed boundaries that'll that give it a sound, you know. Yeah, the way they explained uh, it to me was like they're playing just like any jazz trio would play from a songbook and then play those songs well, through their own experience. That's an oversimplification. I, I yeah. think it's. I think the better the better references are those genres, like you know, specifically bluegrass. Uh, you know, because each instrument has its own sort of family of uh, of um, rhythmic licks right. that you can still play infinitely differently every time you play them. But it's still the mandolin part in the bluegrass song. And that's the way Grateful Dead, you know, quote unquote, you know, most tribute bands. Uh, unfortunately, there's a there's a weird there's almost, I mean, in some scenes, like the Beatles scene, tribute bands are are considered gold. You know, I mean, the Beatles stopped playing live in 1966. You know, even though they're, they're cranking out hits for a bunch more years. Uh, yeah. So there, you know, there's no, you know, like it's a whole different world there. You know. Yeah. Um, whereas, like, although your average bar, you know, kind of sports bar music room that has tribute bands, you know, it's going to be Rolling Stones or Eagles or Fleetwood Mac or whatever. And it's going to be about to have their rehearse set. They figured out what songs they do best and they put them in the beginning and the end and mm-hmm. they put their hardest stuff in them, you know, and they play their set every night, you know, whereas, you know, being in a bluegrass band, you, you, you know, you're drawn from hundreds and hundreds of songs, and like Grateful Dead is similar. Yeah. Um, you know, and, the, and the, with bluegrass, you can say Bill Monroe, you know, any bluegrass band is technically a Bill Monroe tribute, except no one's trying to play, you know, play, uh, you know, the, you know, Bill Monroe's Blue Moon of Kentucky hit single, note for note. They just right. play the song in a bluegrass style. So, and that's the way, you know, it's it's tough balance. It's uh, and, and in the Grateful Dead world, you have both approaches. Unfortunately, there are bands that just rec- you know there are musicians that recognize a, a good paying gig, and they're not deadheads, but they do it. Right. Uh, and they tend to come. They tend to be a little more of the uh, you know that uh, the other approach. Um, you know, and then they're they're tend you know whereas deadhead bands tend to. Form. You know, I, I mean, I've known. I don't know if I personally know the, the um, Garcia birthday band, but I've heard about them for decades. Yeah, yeah they're they, um, they got, you know, they're very. I know they're one of the better ones. <laughs> yeah, they're they're amazing. And, and I mean, uh, starting Dark Star was that. I mean, you went into it obviously with the intention that you're talking about, and it's it became this thing, you know. Uh, uh, 
So, uh, and it's, you know, and it was never, and people still think we were doing note for note following sheet music or something. And, you know, and there are guys that try and follow in our footsteps using that approach. And it's like, that's not what we're doing. <laughs> you know, we, we started out as a bunch of guys that already knew how to stretch out a jam to 45 minutes and had been playing for decades or more. And we're all people who, you know, have been playing music since, since our single digits. And, uh, wow. You know, and frankly, you know, unfortunately, like one of one of the motivations was just kind of seeing, uh, uh, you know, bands, you know, have a ringer, uh, hot shot guitarist, and uh, and you know, just kind of cranking out the hits for the, for, you know, the yuppies who had the most cash to spend on weekends. Oh, yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, versus like trying to, you know have some sense of, of what the core inner spirit of, uh, of this, the concert was about and to, to realize that that's something worth trying to, to achieve. It's not some Everest peak that no one can ever touch. It's absolutely worth trying to get there. It's reaching for the gold ring <laughs> and down inside. You never yeah. get there. <laughs> you never get there. Like, you know, the, a life of trying to get there is a lot more fulfilling I, I would have to agree. Yeah. I imagine. <laughs> so, John, you you mentioned earlier that you didn't necessarily like that jam band uh, tag. What would you? What genre would you call it? Or what? Oh, well, psychedelic, uh, organic, ecstatic dance music. I don't know. I guess it's a little harder. Uh, wow. I guess, you know, psychedelic rock. I guess you know relics. You know, relics used to be uh, music for the mind. Right, you know, Relics magazine was was shameless. Music for the mind. The back, you know, the the back back sections of Relics magazines had listings for deadheads that were incarcerated that you could write to, you know, oh, wow. you know, deadheads in jail looking for pen pals. Yeah, it was, was a part movement. of the Relics experience. Yeah, you know, I kind of look at jam band as a sanitization of psychedelic rock. You know, it's like people are afraid to be psychedelic rock. <laughs> So they call it jam band. Okay. But then wow. last year, then it just kind of opens it up for a lot of just, you know, good bands. I mean, you know, I mean, honestly, any, you know, like when Beyonce goes out with band, the band can jam. Right. <laughs> you know, it's they're not, you know, they they know how to jam, and they do. They don't spend the whole. That's not their focus. You know, their focus is is doing what the principal sets, you know, Beyonce's <laughs> show or whatever. But usually, all those artists want to have some point where they cut loose their band and let them rock out, you know. And, and they, <laughs> anybody getting that level can, you know. It's really their job to to make that their central thing or not. There's a clear uh, delineation between anyway, really jamming and, and magic. I mean, I mean, you, a band can jam, right. but then there's bands that are magic, and I think that's the difference that you're talking about. It sure seems okay. like it. So, Apple, yeah. what were you going to say? Yeah. I, I was going to I was going to ask one thing okay. here. Uh, we we've certainly noticed over, especially since like fairly well, kind of kicked it off more. Every time we go to shows, we're seeing a lot more of the younger crowd, like in their late teens and early twenties, that are like it seems to us like they're getting it. And, and, and I'm just well, wondering that's the if normal you, process. Yeah, I'm just wondering the normal you see process that in your for this crowds. music. I mean. I mean, they were saying the same thing in the mid-80s, you know, where it was like, uh, you know, they're sort of saying, like, what's interesting is that the, uh, 
the uh, the AIDS spread has gotten wider and wider as they evolve. But the the, um, the average age was always like early twenties, right? Because uh, that's that's kind of the age people are you know the seekers are getting the freedom to go out in the world. <laughs> yeah, you know the, the seeker types. Whether they go to college or go into to, just you know, go into the world or whatever, they're you know. Um, and it's you know it's I don't know I uh, one of my one of my uh, predictions and I, I'm, I'm hoping I can stand by this one is that when um, when kids uh, when the kids that are born after the iPod drinking age we're going to see a golden era of live music because for them it, there'll be no novelty of the MP3 of having an entire library sit in the palm of your hand it'll just be by the way it is and I think they're going to get what's great about live music yeah in a way that uh, that uh, that's been taken for granted by the you know the current generation yeah. generation that's kind of infatuated with uh, you know with the MP3 <laughs> <laughs> and streaming on your smartphone damn um, you you've succeeded in uh, collectively really blowing our minds open. today. Anyway. <laughs> you should yeah. see hey, John. You should see the looks on the faces around here. Man. Everybody's just like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> you, you, it, I feel like I've just attended a class, and you were kind of a teacher. Just amazing, John. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, John. Somehow you managed. Um, like you know, usually because you're the musician, you know things are going into their ears. But like today. I, the way you were describing music, it was like a visual for me. So thank you for that. Because when you were explaining music earlier, just I got to see it in my mind's eye as opposed to hearing it. And that that kind of blew my mind. So I'm just grateful that I didn't know as much about I didn't study up as much about you um, as I have for the other guests. And I'm really glad for that because then I got to hear who you really are, which really makes me just excited to get into your music again and come see you uh, oh thank you because it's, it's it is a challenge you know getting into this you know certain place where uh with this you know uh, you know i'm definitely out there and people are aware of me but uh, and don't know enough uh, <laughs> yeah. to, that they just fill in the blanks with their imagination and that's been one of the challenges unfortunately it's, it's trying to find gentle ways to um Relieve people of their misconceptions <laughs> without making them feel bad. Or, well, that's let me great. set you straight. I, well, I hope a bunch of people that <laughs> listen to this because honestly, like it's a, I feel like a jaw dropping kind of a thing. Like you just really let us into who you are, which that's kind of what, as at least from my personal self, like I'm interested in people and who they are, not necessarily what they do. Yeah. Yeah, because what he does is a product of who he is. Yeah. John, we don't want to take up a lot of your time, man. I know that you're busy and you're traveling today, and we want to give you a chance to get up here so that we can come see you play tomorrow night. <laughs> cool. So, all right, well, I look forward to meeting you all. Yeah, we'll see you tomorrow and night, man. I can't wait. Yeah, shake your hand. One, one last question for me. Uh, so we should we okay. expect a uh, solo Star Wars theme violin album at any time in the future? <laughs> I, uh, no, but I mean, I think John the John Williams. Uh, you know, John Williams is, I would say, my first musical influence, 20th century musical influence, and I do think that. So there's uh, there's a thing about you know the way. Uh, 
there's a music term called uh, leitmotif. It's actually like a German word. But it's what, you know, everyone's familiar with Star Wars, how there's, you know, there's different melodies that relate to different characters or different settings. Yes. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, you know, the Empire theme and, uh, you know, Lucas's theme and stuff like that. Well, that's, that's a great example of the kind of stuff that, that, can, that can be incorporated into live music, you know, as far as like a phrase having an association with uh, an idea. Yeah. Or a feeling, or a, or a fragment of a story, or an element of a narrative. Well, right on, brother. I can't wait to meet you and hear you tomorrow night. <laughs> we'll be there with bells on. <laughs> All right, man. We'll talk to you tomorrow. You have a good trip and be safe, man. All right, thanks, for that. Thanks Thank for your you, time, John. bro. All right, peace Later. Out. Well, everybody, that was interesting. That was John Kadlicek. And, um, yeah, the faces around this table right now are just kind of dumbfounded. That was really, really fucking cool, you guys. Yes. That's a genius. We just talked to a bona fide genius. That was great. I love his little giggles in between. Like, he says this completely mind-blowing thing, and then he's like... (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. so, (laughs) so endearing, and... Childlike and super grown up in like that's what I got from that interview. Like such an amazing like great man, but still playful and wow. wow, yeah. So I mean, I'm sure that you guys listening know who he is, but if you don't, go listen to Early Dark Star. Listen to some further. Listen to the Golden Gate Wingmen. Listen to O'Teal and Friends. He's a fucking virtuoso badass. And if you're into the dead or this whole thing, then you the music, owe it to yourself. And music in general. Yeah, because I know that after hearing that, I see this from a completely different perspective. Yes. So, mind blown. Uh, yep, mind blown. So what are we going to do now, guys? We're going to go eat. Watch, watch the I'm big game. Go. Yeah. Ugh. Go Ew. Eagles. Gross. I'm already bored Whatever. and it hasn't even started yet. I'm going to put on the puppy bowl. Jeremy will get it. Oh, the puppy bowl. <laughs> I'm going to watch art guy Chuck Hughes paint cabinets. Ooh, we got a friend coming over, too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, follow us on Instagram at No Simple Road. Go over to the website. Check out the forum at nosimpleroad.com. Uh, head on over to Patreon forward slash No Simple Road and help us out. And have a good week, everybody. We'll be back next week with, I don't know, what's next week? Oh, Dark Star recap and trip report next week. Holy Nuh-uh, shit. We'll be recording that, but next week Nuh-uh. will be the Phil. And it, oh, yeah, 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 yeah Phil yeah, recap Phil. next week. And that's God. a really good one, you guys. I don't know what I'm talking about yeah, anymore. The Phil recap. Wait, the Phil is, recap, is Phil I think, recap is one of all of our favorites. After this one? But. I don't know, man. There's Just there's there'll be stuff. more stuff, stuff, you guys. Out, yeah, you can listen to <laughs> all the years combined. Bye. Anyway, we love you guys. Bye. I win. Nope. Damn it. You'll never win. I win. Sister shines, turns her head and kicks her heels. Dances through the way she feels and where she's going. Feeling fine, wondering where she's gonna be. Pays the price for being free. 
through fields of glory and kiss the morning light. She can keep her candle burning and brighten up the night. She won't heed your words of warning. She don't care if it's wrong or right. Sister smiles, bounces in and bounces out. Tries to find what life's about and what she's after. And all the while, she's telling you she's got no fears as she's hiding all her tears behind the laughter. She can skip through fields of glory and kiss the morning light. She can keep her candle burning and brighten up the night. She won't heed your words of warning. She don't care if it's wrong or right. Wrong or right. Wrong or podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. What does that mean? Osiris is a community of great music and culture podcasts. If you like this one, go check out others at osirispod.com and get in the loop. Osiris is partnered with Relics Magazine at relics.com. city without its music. The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. 
Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil Story Made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. tell you about the April-May 2023 issue of Relics Magazine. Features a Dave Matthews Band cover story with additional articles and interviews with The National, Graham Nash, Wayne Shorter, ALO, Ivan Neville, our friend Eric Krasno and Stanton Moore, Marty Stewart, and much more. Check out the latest version of Relics and subscribe now at relics.com slash DMB. Thanks, Relics. Yes, welcome everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you!